1: The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. You should consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence and base all financial decisions on your specific situation. The show is furnished by Edelman Financial Services, a registered investment advisor. Rick Edelman is also a registered representative and principal of Sanders Morris Harris, an affiliated broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. This is the Rick Edelman show. Now, Here's Rick Edelman.
0: And a very happy weekend to you. Rick Edelman here. Thanks for joining me on the program. It's The Truth About Money, and we're going to give you all the information that you need in the area of investments, taxes, mortgages, insurance, college planning, retirement planning, buying houses, leasing cars, getting out of debt, you name it. We're going to talk about it on the program. Inviting your phone calls at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. I've got something really important I want to share with you today. Losses. I want to talk about losses, Uh, but no, not the risk of investment losses. I know that's what you would typically expect me to talk about. Are you prepared for the downside? Could you handle losses? Are you aware of how much your portfolio might suffer in losses in a given scenario that might develop? No, I don't want to talk about investment losses. I want to talk about investment advisor losses. Yeah, in other words, I don't want to talk about you losing money on your investments. I want to talk about you losing, not your investments, but your investment advisor. What would happen? Just think about this for a second. What would happen if you phoned your advisor or sent an email to your advisor and got no response? Because you don't know it, but your advisor was hit by a bus yesterday. So for whatever reason, your advisor has died. Your advisor has fallen ill. Your advisor has gone on vacation for two weeks. What if you find yourself in need of your advisor and your advisor suddenly isn't there? Now, even if none of the above occurs, forget about death, disability, injury, illness, or vacation. What about your advisor's own retirement? Because, look, your advisor is helping you plan for retirement. Don't you assume your advisor is also planning for his or her own retirement? Ask yourself, how old is your advisor? Compare that to you. If your advisor is significantly older than you... Odds are, your advisor will retire before you do. Even if your advisor isn't much older than you, if your advisor is of similar age, I mean, don't you want your advisor to be with you while you're in retirement? Because you're going to be facing issues in retirement. You're going to be dealing with health care issues, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security benefits, pension benefits, income need in retirement, estate planning You're going to want to know that the advisor you've come to know and who has come to know you is available, is around to help you while you're in your 60s and 70s and 80s. So for all of the above, I just want to ask you a question. What happens to you if something happens to your advisor? The SEC has been asking that question and is now demanding that investment advisors have continuity plans. The SEC is demanding that financial advisors have a succession plan in place so that the advisor doesn't leave you in the lurch because something untoward happens to the advisor. And forget about retirement, which is long planned, right? That's not something somebody wakes up one day and says, oh, I think I'm retiring today. Even vacations tend to be somewhat planned, and the advisor should be able to say to you, I'm going on vacation for two weeks, FYI. If you need me, here's what you ought to do. But what about getting hit by a bus? What about an auto accident? What about falling down the stairs? What about an accident or an injury or a sudden illness that takes the advisor out of the workplace and into the hospital where they are unable to serve your needs? The reason this is acute is that according to a recent industry survey, by SEI Advisor Network, they did a survey of nearly 800 advisors in the country. Only 45% of them say that they have a continuity plan. Only 45%, about half. But when SEI probed more deeply and asked to look at that continuity plan, they discovered that only 20% of advisors had one that was genuinely executable, meaning an advisor would say, yeah, I have a continuity plan. If something happens to me, I'll, uh, I'll just have my clients talk to Harvey over here. But did they, have, did they really arrange with Harvey to be able to have Harvey take care of those clients? No, plan wasn't executable. Bottom line, only 20% of advisors have a continuity plan. So the SEC is readying final rules that will require investment advisors to have a continuity plan. Now, here's a wrinkle. The SEC doesn't regulate all financial advisors. They don't supervise and oversee all investment advisors. They only oversee the investment advisors who manage more than $100 million in client assets. The bigger investment advisory firms in the nation, firms like mine at Edelman Financial, we are regulated by the SEC, and they come happily visiting every so often to check us out and make sure we're on the up and up. But the SEC doesn't visit every advisor in the country; only those with a hundred million in client assets or more. Smaller advisors, advisors who serve far fewer clients, advisors who don't manage much money, advisors with less than a hundred million in assets—those advisors are are managed or supervised, regulated by the state. Regulators, as opposed to the federal regulator of the SEC. So now, this past week, NASAA, the North American Securities Administrators Association, this is the National Association of State Regulators, they have put forth new regulation proposals that will also require all advisors operating in their states to have business continuity and succession plans in place. This is great news. It is essential. It is vital that your advisor have this continuity plan in place. We certainly do at Edelman Financial. If something happens to any one of our advisors, our clients will experience minimal disruption. Because we work as a team in our office, and we work as a unit, and so all of our advisors are working together with each other so that any other advisor, in a pinch, could step in to assure the client of continuity of advice and service, understanding of the client's situation, comprehension of the investment management strategy, and the the ability to sustain it without disruption to the client. Our clients are protected. Our clients are covered. We've made very certain of that. But- Can every financial advisor in the country make that same claim? Don't assume that because your advisor works for a big brokerage firm that it's not a problem. Yeah, this guy works in an office. There are 200 guys in that office. Well, that might be true. But in many cases, those 200 guys are working independently in a solo activity by themselves with no awareness or regard to what the other 199 guys in the office are also doing. So you need to have a conversation with your advisor, especially if your advisor is a solo practitioner, one-man operation, mom-and-pop shop. What happens if your advisor is suddenly unable to serve you? What is your advisor's retirement plan? You need to ask your advisor these questions because it's not just so much about choosing the investments. It's also about choosing the investment advisor. In fact, it has gotten to the point where we have gotten requests from financial advisors around the country asking us if we would help them with their continuity planning needs, to which we are saying, yes, we're happy to help. So we are developing a more formal process that we're calling the Edelman Iteration Plan so that we can provide continuity services for other financial advisors. So that if your financial advisor, wherever they happen to be, suddenly is unable to serve you because of injury, illness, death, retirement, whatever... That advisor can turn you over to us and we can help facilitate the continuity of services that you need so that you're not left in the lurch. You need to ask this question of your advisor. I mean, it's not a big deal for your...
2: Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little, actually a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Plumber, you know, what happens if your plumber retires? Unless your plumber is currently fixing your leaky bathroom pipes, it's not an issue. But if you've got an ongoing relationship with your investment advisor and the management of your investments, and suddenly they're not there to help, and you need to get cash out of your account, you need to get information for tax preparation, you need to get advice because of changing market circumstances or your own situation, and suddenly your advisor's not there to help. To me, that's pretty scary. To me, that's even scarier than the risk you associate with the investment world of what happens if my investments fall in value. My attitude is the risk is this. What happens if my investments fall in value and my advisor isn't there to help me with that? That's the risk. So I always admonish my advisors when they're planning to go on vacation. You can, not a problem, provided the market doesn't crash while you're away. And, of course, since we can't guarantee that, we partner it up. We have a buddy system. So if one advisor is away, another advisor is there, stepping in, able to take care of things while they're gone. And nobody's ever really gone, you know what I'm saying? Thanks to email and voicemail and uh, mobile technology, nobody is ever really gone. I was in contact with Val, one of my advisors. He was on safari in Africa and I was having a conversation with him uh, in email because of a client situation that came up. we were able to take care of it. Not a problem. From halfway around the world, we took care of it. You want to be able to be sure that that opportunity is available to you with your advisor. And if you aren't sure what your investment advisor's continuity plan is, just ask. It should be the first question you ask in your next conversation. What is your continuity plan? By the way, this continuity plan has to be in writing. So ask them for a copy of it. Don't just say, yeah, I got it covered. Uh, There's this guy Harvey over here. No, 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 no. I want to see your continuity plan. Show me how it'll work so that you have the peace of mind so that when the time comes, it's in place for you. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money. We're going to invite your telephone calls when we come back. Also, a pretty funny story from one of our clients who solved the dilemma of how to come up with the money to pay for a new car. Stay with us for more on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK. Visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com.
1: the author of the number one national bestseller, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. Coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
0: Back on the Rick Edelman Show, Triple Eight Plan Rick. That's the number you can dial us up anytime during the week. If you can't get through right now during the weekend, uh, my colleagues and I at Edelman Financial happy to answer your question and respond to your uh, concerns. We'll get you the information you need so that you can achieve your financial goals. You can also go online to uh, Edelman Online. At uh, our website at rickedelman.com. At Edelman Online, you can access all of our investment management services directly online with no human intervention until you're ready for that human intervention, which is available to you whenever you want it. Uh, So uh, visit us online as well. Uh, We're going to take our first phone call in McLean, Virginia. Tina's on the phone. Welcome to the show, Tina. How are you?
3: Hi Rick, I'm fine. I um, have a uh, quick question for you um, about something. I don't know if it's going to be a quick answer from you, but I purchased um, back in 1998. Um, I don't know why I did this, but um, through one of my employers I purchased a, uh, and I don't know if I should know the, say the name of the insurance company. Yeah, sure, but, no problem. Um, Uh, MetLife Variable Annuity. Okay. And it looks... I just got a statement. I'm one of those people that's not really on top of my financial situation, which is not great. But anyway, I have all these little pieces, parts that I get get to when they come. And I got a statement um, in the mail recently that I contributed about $1,500 in 1998. Mm -hmm. And today it is worth Mm $2,800. And I, I called the company... And um, I'd like to get rid of this. Um, but one of my first questions for you is, uh, how could an investment, um, it's in the stock market, in like maybe four different funds, uh, go for 17 years with not even a double of return? It, isn't that sort of unusual?
0: Well, it depends on which 17 years we're talking about. Uh, so, well, from t-
3: 1998 it, to present. It,
0: exactly. So let's think about that. In 1998, where was the Dow Jones Industrial Average? Um, um,
3: I, I suppose I suppose it, it was a little bit higher. I mean, obviously lower than it is now. Well, no, I'm going to tell you exactly where
0: I'm going to tell you exactly where the Dow Jones Industrial Average mm-hmm. was as soon as Jeremy gets around to telling me. Come on, Jeremy, the clock's ticking. Um, so the Dow was at 79.65 in 1998. Uh, let's call that 8,000 for easy math. Today, the Dow is at about 18,000. So you're right. The account should have doubled in that period of time. And your account almost did. It went from 1,500 to 2,800. It did almost double. So what really happened here is that your account did a little bit worse than the market average. And that doesn't surprise me because the money was invested in a variable annuity. And the downside to the variable annuity are very high fees. And this is not a criticism merely of MetLife, but of virtually the entire variable annuity industry. The fees that people typically encounter in variable annuities are between 2 and 3% per year. So the drag of the fees over the past 17 years resulted in you doing a bit less than the market average. And that kind of explains it. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to your initial question of saying, I think I want to get rid of this, which is a valid observation. Why would you want to continue owning an investment that underperforms the market because of the largely because of the fees that you're incurring? So I would agree with you. And that leads us to the point you began to make. You started to say you called the company about selling the investment. What happened when... In that conversation
3: yeah, well I, I I tried to have them explain to me you know exactly what you just sort of explained to me how could how can an investment you know go do so poorly, but anyway, um, the person who answered the phone really wasn 't able to answer that satisfactorily, but um, they said that I would need to get permission. Um, <laughs> From the company, the employer that I had that with, I would have have to ask permission to get out of that. Which right, so I now, thought that was very unusual.
0: It depends. Was this an, was this a retirement account? Was this a 403b account with your employer? I think, back? Yes. Yes. That is yes. why. You see, this isn't. You didn't really buy the annuity directly. You invested in the company's 403b plan. And are you still with that company? Are you still with that employer?
3: Um, on a very, very part-time basis.
0: So you are you still eligible to participate in that company's 403B program? Yes. Then that's I'm the eligible
3: is- to, 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 for their 401K. So it's a, it's a .org. Okay. So I would imagine that I can do the 403B.
0: All right. So that is what MetLife was trying to explain to you. Because this is a retirement account, your ability to liquidate that account and move the money to a different investment does in fact depend on your employer. So you need to go to the employer. And, if, and if, if you want, you can call us and we can help you do this because we deal with employers on behalf of our clients all the time. And we can help mm-hmm. work through that maze for you. There are probably several options here. Uh, that are available to you and in fact it's worthy of a more elaborate conversation we're running up against the news but i want to sure. talk about this with you further so i'm going to put you on hold and we're going to come back after the news so we can continue the conversation what do you do if you have an investment in your retirement plan at work and you're not happy with the investment what can you do about it i'm going to answer that question for tina and for you when we come back on the rick Edelman olden show so stay with us
1: Need a second opinion on your investments? Get a free portfolio review at rickadelman.com.
0: Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Uh, I do want to tell you of a funny story that one of my advisors uh, shared with me about a, an annual review meeting he recently had with a client who wanted to buy a new car. But before we get to that, I want to continue. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh, a
3: book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
2: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No by law plus conditions website for details. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and community safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.
0: Our conversation with Tina, who's patiently hanging around with us. Uh, you're still with us, Tina? Yes. Tina's uh, got a, a conundrum. Um, she invested... Uh, $1,500 in her uh, retirement plan at work back in 1998, today the account has not quite doubled in value, even though it's fully invested in the stock market, and even though the account hasn't doubled in value, the stock market has, uh, and more so. So Tina is recognizing that she's got an underperforming investment. Uh, and I've been able to explain that the reason for the underperformance is largely due to the fees associated with the variable annuity, which is the investment that was provided to her in her retirement plan. So Tina wants to get rid of this annuity and uh, get a better investment. And when she contacted MetLife, the annuity carrier, MetLife said, we, we can't let you sell this. You've got to go back to your employer which sounded weird to Tina, but in fact was accurate information from MetLife. And the reason is that it wasn't just an annuity that Tina bought on her own directly from MetLife. She bought this annuity via her retirement plan at work. And whenever you buy investments through your retirement plan at work, whether it's – a 403B or a 401K or a 457, whatever the retirement plan happens to be. Uh, It could be a a Keo or a SEP IRA or a SARSEP, whatever the plan is your employer offers. When you buy investments through that plan, you're subject to the rules of that plan. And one of the rules has to do with the investment availability. So you do need to go back to the employer, and it's possible, Tina – that your employer will say, the only investment available is that MetLife annuity. They may say, you don't have a choice. If that's it or nothing. They may also say, there are lots of investment opportunities of which MetLife is one. And there might be other choices available. So you need to work with the employer to find out what flexibility exists within the plan from an investment selection. In other words, how broad is the menu available to you in the plan? I would hope that the MetLife variable annuity is not the sole option. I would really hope that. Not just for your sake, because you would like to get uh, an alternative choice, but for the employer's sake, because I would question whether the employer is honoring their fiduciary obligation to you by offering you the sufficient variety of investment options, because they're saddling you with a very expensive investment option when there are alternative choices in the marketplace that are dramatically cheaper. Uh, so it would be in the employer's best interest to make sure you have some other choices available to you. So the first step is to go to the employer and say, hey, I don't like this. Can I take my money out of this and move it to something else? And let's see what their answer is. And depending on their answer, would determine what our next steps are. Uh, because at the end of the day, the, war, the, the most extreme solution, and this is extreme, Tina, you quit that job, which now gives you full flexibility to roll the account over to an IRA, where you now have full flexibility to li- to sell that investment without any restriction, subject to any fees the annuity might offer or or whatever. Um, so that's the extreme case. I don't know if you want to quit that job just because you want to get rid of the investment, but we've seen some some employees say that. I don't care about that stupid company. I'll go work for another company, which is perfectly fine. Uh, Others say, I'm not going to quit my job. i got my health benefits there. I've been there for 20 years. i got stock options. I love the place. I'm not going to quit just because of this. So that goes into the personal financial planning element of this. But the short answer is we have to first talk with the employer, find out the details of the plan. That will tell us what our options are, and then we can evaluate what the next step ought to be. If you are not sure that you are able to have an effective conversation with your employer because you're not going to understand what they're telling you uh... which is not at all surprising because it's a largely gobbledygook and most people beyond their expertise we can help uh, that we do this very often with our clients and and helping you gather the data from the employer so we can analyze it on your behalf to let you know what your options are and what the best step is so either way do it on your own talking to the employer or enlist the services of a financial advisor like us so we can do it for you as you know we have Uh, offices um, right where you live um, uh, in uh, McLean, Virginia. So we can easily do that for you. Thank you. Uh, You're very welcome. I'm really glad that you called. A lot of people face that very, very same uh, dilemma. So, uh, so I was talking with uh, Rick Mueller. Rick is one of uh, the advisors in my firm. He works in our uh, Bergen County uh, office in New Jersey. And Rick was describing to me the other day that he had a client um, who became a client about a year ago. And at the time, one of the goals uh, that the client said that they had was that they were going to spend $40,000 on a new car. Uh, This is important, and and this is important for you to understand as well, because one of the key issues that we deal with as financial planners is helping you identify how much money should you have in cash reserves. This is a really key question. And our answer generally, uh, it, it varies depending on the client situation that I'll explain, but generally speaking, we want you to have at least a year, and as much as three years, of spending in cash reserves, now that's spending, not income. Think about that. How much money do you spend on a monthly basis? your household total, all in everything? Let's say that it's five grand a month, just to pick a number. Then we would want you to have sixty grand in cash reserves. We might want you to have a hundred and eighty grand in cash reserves. Now, that's a huge number. I know, I get it. It's massive. Not only how do you come up with that kind of cash, but why on earth would you sock away in cash reserves where you're earning in a bank 0.0? point nothing? Why would you want to do that? It's real simple. Think back to 2008. In 2008, we saw the stock market fall 65% in value, and we saw people losing their jobs at the same time, and we saw home values falling by 50% which means people were finding themselves out of work and unable to make the mortgage payments because they didn't have any cash. And it took them two years to get another job. Well, that's why I want you to have two years with the cash reserves, to tide you over so that you can make your mortgage payment, your car payment, buy food for your kids as well as medicine and clothing and keep the family afloat so that you don't have to liquidate your investments while they happen to be down 30 or 40 or 50% in value and incurring that downward spiral. You see the point? Cash reserves is a safety net. Cash is king. That's the whole point of it. Now, depending on your situation, you might be okay with far less in reserves. If you're retired, living on government pensions and Social Security checks, in other words, your income is as safe and assured as ever, and it's more than enough to meet your needs, well, then you don't need three years' worth of spending in cash reserves. Six months would probably be fine. On the other hand, let's say that you're um, married with kids and you're the sole breadwinner in the family and you're working for a company that is unstable financially and you're on commission sales where you don't know what your income is one month to the next. Well, that's pretty scary and I would want you to max out that three-year clock on your cash reserves. In other words, the less stable and predictable your income the more you need in cash reserves. It's about that simple. And once you figure out that number, let's say you conclude you need two years' worth of savings in reserves. This is money that you are planning to never touch. It's a rainy day fund, and you're hoping you never need to touch it. But if you know for sure that you are going to need to touch it, and that's where this client comes in, they knew they were going to spend forty grand on a new car. That forty grand is above the ordinary amount of cash reserves. So if they needed two years' worth of spending in cash, they need an additional forty grand on top of that so that they don't erode their cash reserves when they buy the car. Does that make sense? So that's what Rick did with the client. He said, okay, they worked it all out. They set money aside in cash reserves to meet the needs of the client and forty grand on top of that because the client wanted to pay cash for the car. We had no problem with that. So... That was a year ago. They have a ton of money in cash reserves. Everything is handled correctly. Plus, they got 40 grand ready to buy the car. Fast forward a year to just about a week ago. Rick meets with the client for their annual review, and he says, by the way, what's the status? Did you buy the car? And the wife says, no. Instead of buying a new car, we found a good car wash instead. <laughs> and so... They decided all they needed to do was clean the car, get it detailed. It's like new. And they took the forty grand and added it to their investment account instead. <laughs> Wonderful story. She's thrilled. I didn't ask Rick what the husband said. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Rick Edelman Show. We'll be back with more of your questions at Triple H Plan Rick when we return. And we're also going to talk later today are you at risk of an internet defamation lawsuit? And surprisingly, you might be from a source you're not expecting. And I'll tell you more about it when the show continues here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H Plan Rick. Visit us online at ricedelman.com.
1: Free articles on personal finance. Sign up for Rick's email update at rickedelman.com.
0: Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. I've got a question for you. Can a mortgage help you enjoy financial security in retirement i want you to understand the shocking answer to that question and so we are bringing back our mortgage seminar we've done this in only a couple of cities over the past year and there was such huge response so many people have wanted to know this information that we are now going to bring the seminar around the entire country Next Tuesday and Wednesday, May 12th and May 13th, we're going to be bringing the seminar to Columbus, Del Mar, Woodcliffe Lake in New Jersey, Manhattan Beach, Salt Lake City, Rocky Hill in Connecticut, Boca Raton, Ashburn, Virginia, and Concord, California. This seminar is going to show you why everything you know about mortgages is wrong. You're going to discover how your mortgage, if handled properly, can in fact help you increase wealth and secure your retirement. You're going to discover why a 30-year mortgage is better than 15, why you don't want to enter retirement without a mortgage. You're going to learn my 11 great reasons to carry a big, long mortgage. It is shocking, and it is inspiring, and it will show you that one of the most effective tools available to you from a financial planning perspective is a mortgage. And by attending, you'll also get a free copy of my number one best-selling book, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. It's just $15 a person. You can register online at rickadelman.com. That's ricedelman.com or call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. I really encourage you to come. You will be shocked, surprised, enlightened, and it's an awful lot of fun as well. Let's continue with our telephone call, shall we? We've got Jane. She's in Boston. Hi, Jane. Welcome to the program. How are you?
4: I'm fine, thanks, Rick. And you?
0: Very well, thank you. How can I help?
4: Good. I have a question on IRAs. I'm 66, and I'm wondering if I should continue to put the 6,500 per year into an IRA. Um, I'm self-employed, working part-time, and probably will for a few more years. But I already have a substantial amount in IRAs, and from what I understand, um, IRA money can't go into like an irrevocable trust, and there could, you know, could be subject to nursing home situations later. So I guess I'm wondering: is is it, you know, a certain amount that's too much at my age, and whether I should continue to do it? Is it worth the tax deduction?
0: So it sounds and like whether the... I
4: should start taking some money out.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the concern you have, Jane, is that the money saved in an IRA might be lost. To nursing home long-term care expenses—is that your concern? Yes. Okay. So let me get a little more data. You said you've got a lot of money in IRAs already. How much?
4: Uh, about a million three.
0: And do you have money saved elsewhere?
4: Uh, yes. About um, five hundred and fifty thousand.
0: Okay. Are you married? A
4: Roth, of, Roth of seventy-five thousand.
0: Okay. The five hundred and fifty are in taxable investments, taxable accounts. Uh, yes. Okay. And plus seventy-five K in a Roth. Are you married? No. Uh, children? No. So you are dependent entirely on yourself. Right. And you spend how much money on an annual basis or monthly basis? Just personal total um, expenses.
4: Probably about um, five. Well, let's see. Maybe thirty-five hundred a month. Maybe forty-two thousand a year right now.
0: Okay. And are you comfortable with your lifestyle?
4: Um, yes, I think so. I mean, I'd like to do a little more traveling when
0: I stop working. Gotcha. Uh, Based on your situation, you are in excellent financial condition. In fact, I'm going to give you the applause of the day because you are in in excellent financial condition. Uh, So congratulations. All by yourself, you have amassed uh, a substantial amount of money, uh, about $2 million. We haven't even talked about the value of your home uh, or the value of your business uh, and the ability for you to continue generating income from that or Social Security that you will eventually be entitled to. So, Based on a financial planning perspective, I could easily argue that no, you don't need to continue saving in an IRA, not because I'm worried about the fact you might lose the money to long term care costs or nursing home costs, but simply because you already have amassed enough money to meet your needs. You can easily generate the income necessary. In fact, you can generate substantially more. You can probably double your income. From your investments, if you're if you're living on forty two forty five grand a year, you your your investments can generate a hundred grand a year most likely, and that's assuming that we don't really erode the value of the account over your lifetime. Meaning you die with as much money in the future as you have today, and since you don't have any spouse or children, no heirs for which you are financially responsible or concerned about, you can die broke, and if that's the case, you can even increase the income even beyond that. So you're in excellent financial condition, and on that basis, the only reason you should continue working is because you enjoy it. But if you would rather cut back or even stop, you can do so immediately and and not even continue. Having said all that, from a sheer spreadsheet analysis perspective, from a sheer efficiency basis, and if the goal is to accumulate as much money as possible... Sure, keep working, and sure, keep adding to your IRA. There's no reason not to. The fact that the money might ultimately end up having to be used for long-term care costs, so what? That's what it's for.
4: Yeah, I just added to some nieces and nephews that, you know, I would like to pass the money on, you know, at some point. Sure, I I get
0: that, but you don't want to leave money to them if it means sacrificing your own care and well-being. Right. Right? So... Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I don't see any concern here. Uh, if you are really worried about long-term care costs, go buy a long-term care policy because the cost of that policy will be dramatically lower than the cost of paying for care itself. In Massachusetts, according to Genworth's uh, twenty fifteen survey. Genworth is the largest provider of long-term care insurance in the country. They do an annual national survey of the cost of care around the country. And in Massachusetts, where you live, the annual cost of care is about 130 grand. That's for a semi-private room in a nursing home. If you want a private room, it's even more. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're going to incur that cost, you're going to spend down your money really darn fast. And if you want to solve that problem a long-term care insurance policy. It'll be a fraction of the cost. You'll spend five or ten grand a year instead of 130 grand a year uh, for a policy that'll pay you benefits for five years, three years or five years. So I would encourage you to take a serious look at long-term care insurance. That's the best way to preserve your estate for the benefit of your nieces and nephews and charities.
4: Okay, now would I, should I wait until 70 and a half to start taking out of the IRA, or would it benefit me to take it? you know, start taking some now so that I don't pay all the taxes later.
0: It's not going to make any difference. The amount of money you have in the, in the accounts are going to require you to withdraw the money at such a rate, you're going to be in the top tax bracket or near it anyway. It's not going to matter a whole lot. We could do a pro forma for you to calculate it and help get a better sense of, of that, but I don't think it's going to make any difference. I would put the question not in the context of how do I lower the taxes, but how do I enjoy my lifestyle? Why wait five more years to start taking the money? When you can start taking the money now and enjoy yourself. You said you wanted to travel. Right. What I'm are you waiting for? Book that bit. flight. Well, I'm tied down a little bit right now. <laughs> well, it's time to loosen those ropes a little bit, my friend. Okay? You deserved it. You've earned it. Now go enjoy yourself. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money, 888-PLAN-RICK. Visit us online at ricedelman.com. Stay with us after the news.
1: Providing personal finance advice for 25 years, this is The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Now, here's
0: Rick Edelman. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Um, Is there a senior in your life? Odds are that you have a parent or a parent-in-law still alive. Uh, thanks to longevity that has never been better in uh, human history. And unfortunately, uh, seniors are victims of financial fraud at an increasing rate. According to TrueLink Financial, American seniors are losing $37 billion a year to senior fraud, exploitation, and financial abuse. This is a huge number. Um, the greatest at-risk Seniors who are experiencing memory loss. Seniors who are engaged in making financial decisions alone, meaning without the aid or assistance of other family members. Seniors who live alone. And seniors who don't consult with family members or with advisors before making financial decisions. So the real question here is, are you or are your parents possibly experiencing Signs of a financial decline where their financial competence is at risk because of declining mental faculties. So let me share with you a list put together of some warning signs from the National Endowment for Financial Education. Are your parents or are you taking longer to complete everyday financial tasks? For example, does it take longer than usual to prepare your bills before you mail them? to fill out a check uh, or to file your income taxes? Is it taking longer than it used to? Uh, Do you have reduced attention to details in financial documents? For example, are you having trouble identifying that there's an overdue bill that needs attention? Are you finding when you visit your parents that they have bills lying around unpaid? Do you have difficulty finding details on a bank statement? Uh, Do you have difficulty filling out the columns of a check register when you're trying to balance your checkbook? Are you or your parents having issues with this? Are you experiencing a decline in everyday math skills? Are you having trouble calculating the return on an investment? When you're in a restaurant, do you have trouble figuring out the tip? More so than in the past? Do you have trouble making several calculations at once? These are indications that you might be experiencing a decline in cognitive skills, which routinely decline as we age. Researchers say these declines start at about age 55. Yeah, 5'5". So imagine if you are 65, or if your parents are 75. Do you have a decreased understanding of financial concepts? For example, when uh, your health insurance refers to something like a medical deductible, you have trouble understanding what that means when you look at a bank statement and it refers to the minimum balance does that appear confusing to you more so than in the past and finally do you have difficulty identifying the risks of a financial opportunity this is where the biggest pervasive areas of fraud occur do you have trouble identifying the key risk in an investment scenario do you have trouble identifying the risks of mail fraud or telephone fraud? If so, you should recognize that it's not at all uncommon and that it simply means you shouldn't make any decisions quickly. You should instead deliberate and ask family members or a professional financial advisor for assistance to protect you and your money from those trying to separate you from it. And one other area where people are sometimes separated from their money, we had this in the last hour when we were talking with Tina, who found herself owning a variable annuity. And over the past 17 years, even though the annuity's investment was entirely in the stock market, she found that she was significantly underperforming in that investment. And... I explained that one of the big reasons is that variable annuities are often very, very expensive with their fees. And so this is such a pervasive issue. Why would a financial advisor sell a variable annuity to a consumer if the fees are so high? Well, one obvious answer is the commissions are high as well. That financial advisor has a pretty strong incentive to sell that product to you because they make a lot of money doing it. The commissions can often be 5% or more. Well, now, Senator Elizabeth Warren is asking this question of the nation's largest annuity providers. She is concerned that financial advisors and insurance agents are suffering a conflict of interest, that they are providing inadequate advice about annuities, and they are selling products that don't meet the needs of their buyers. Because it is well known in the annuity industry that in addition to paying very high commissions, these annuity carriers often offer incentives to insurance agents and stockbrokers to get them to sell even more of their product. I told you here on this show a few weeks ago about an inducement I received in the mail, a, a flyer inviting me to the master's. All I had to do was sell a million and a half dollars worth of annuity product, and I would have get an all-expenses-paid trip to the master's. Well, car leases are common as incentives, Super Bowl-style rings, free trips like that Masters tournament, concert tickets, and other perks, widely known in the industry, widely available to financial advisors and insurance agents, and on Capitol Hill, they are concerned that these appear to be kickbacks. So it raises yet another question for you to ask the fella you're talking to about your investment strategy. Are you recommending this investment because you get a financial incentive? Are you high-pressuring me because there's a deadline for that contest by the end of the month that you've got to get that money invested by then or you lose out on a trip or a Super Bowl ring or what have you? It's dicey. And unfortunately, seniors who may be suffering a decline in cognitive skills, could find themselves even more susceptible to those ever-friendly, wide-smiling salesmen telling them that everything will be fine, just trust me, and sign here. So if you are a senior, if you have a senior in your family, it's worth a conversation to ask them the simple question, the easiest of all that laundry list I gave you, The simplest and easiest one to identify whether or not there's a decline in cognitive skills is the following. Do you have trouble calculating the tip when you eat at a restaurant? More so than in the past. Because if you say, I've always had trouble doing that, well, okay, i give you a bye. But are you having more trouble than usual? More trouble than in the past? That's a suggestion that your cognitive skills are waning. We're here to help. That's what we do at Edelman Financial, not just the world of investments, although that's what we're perhaps best known for, but the entire financial planning process. Sure, investments, but also taxes and mortgages and college planning and retirement planning and estate planning, buying houses, leasing cars, dealing with cash management issues, and above and beyond, helping to make sure that we protect you from the scams and the ripoffs that are unfortunately far too pervasive in American society today. I'm Rick Edelman. We'll be taking your telephone calls when we come back. You're welcome to call us now or anytime during the week at 888-PLAN-RICK. If you would like some help, if you would like someone to talk to, we're here for you. 888-752-6742. Internet defamation lawsuits. Might you be a victim? And who might be perpetri- perpetrating, what's the word? It's, it's, I'm having a cognitive skills issue here. Who's sticking you with the problem? I'll tell you when we come back.
1: More with a host of the PBS TV series, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
0: Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for hanging around this half hour. We're uh, taking your telephone calls at 888-PLAN-RICK, and we're going to talk about Internet defamation lawsuits, why you need to be worried about it. And first, we're uh, going to go to Reston in Virginia. Michael, you're with us on the air. How are you doing?
5: Very fine, thank you. Thank you for taking the call.
0: My pleasure. What can I do for you?
5: Question concerns uh, required minimum withdrawals. Okay. My my wife has uh, IRA accounts, and a 401k account from her prior employer. Yep. Question is Can we compute the required minimum withdrawal? Can we compute the amount from both types of accounts and satisfy the withdrawal by taking the money from one account, for example, the IRA?
0: No. Can, No, you can't. And this is one of the more common traps that people fall into that causes them to incur a 50% penalty from the IRS merely because of an error in paperwork. Let me elaborate for everybody so we all know what we're talking about because this mistake is common and very, very expensive. The RMD rule is the required minimum distribution. That's the rule that says if you have money in a retirement account, whether it's an account from a work-based plan like a 401k, 403b, thrift savings plan in the federal government, or a 457, whatever. If you've got a retirement plan at work or an IRA, forget about the Roth, I'm talking about deductible IRAs and non-deductible IRAs. If you have an IRA or a retirement plan at work, at a given point in time, you must begin to make withdrawals. The given point in time, Michael, is what age
5: Seventy and a half. Yeah, 70 and a half, I believe.
0: wrong my friend. <laughs> uh, and that is very common for people to say what you said. It is, in fact, April 1 of the year following the year you turn 70 and a half. I want to meet the clown who wrote that rule.
5: <laughs> Wasn't me.
0: Yeah, I know. it was. De- that rule can only be serving one purpose, and that is designed to trip you up. So you've got to calculate when does your wife turn... April 1 of the year after the year, she's 70 and a half. It's ridiculous. So in other words, it's pushing near age 72 by the time the first distribution has to be withdrawn. If you do wait until April 1 of the year following the year, you actually end up having to take two withdrawals in that year. Right. Because you got to take one for the prior year, which you delayed to April 1 of the year following, plus the one for that year by December 31. So, in other words, you either do one this year and one next year, or you do two next year. Okay? So that's the first trip-up rule. Second, the IRS determines how much money you must withdraw, and it is based on a combination of the account value and your age. And that's why you've got to recalculate it every year, because every year you get older and you were that much closer to your life expectancy. And so the amount you must withdraw changes on an annual basis. It starts out at a very small percentage of the account, and it grows on a regular basis as you age. Now, having said that, there's another trap, because I just said something that wasn't quite accurate. What I just told you is you have to determine the amount you must withdraw, which is based on what? What did I just say? The amount, The withdrawal you take is based on what?
5: It's based on your age at the time you take it. The factor the IRS gives you in Pub 590, whatever it is.
0: And that also is wrong. Uh, because what you just said is what most people say. And a reading of Publication 590, which is where you get the IRS table that tells you the amount that must be withdrawn, has a piece of fine print associated with it. The amount you must withdraw is not based on the value of the account as of the date of the withdrawal. It's based on the value of the account the prior December thirty-one. Yes. So if you withdraw the money right now based on the current account value, that's incorrect. You need to withdraw based on the account value of the prior December 31. Now, ordinarily, account values rise, so it's no big deal if you'd use the May date instead of last December's date because the account value in May is probably higher than the account value last December. But go back to 2008. In 2008, when the stock market was down 50%, if you took the withdrawal late in the year, that account value was an awful lot less than it was the prior December 31, and you ended up withdrawing too little, and the difference was subject to a 50% penalty. Another trap. And here's a final trap, which is the one you asked about. Let's say you have money in multiple IRAs. And it's not at all uncommon. We typically find people have five retirement accounts by the time they retire. Five different accounts. They have IRA accounts. uh, They have 401Ks from multiple prior employers. They might have a 403B and whatever. They have five dormant accounts from life. Your wife has two, an IRA and a 401K. Let's say you have five IRAs of different values. You can add up the total and then withdraw all of it from just one of the IRAs, which was kind of the question you asked. And That works just fine if all of the money is, is in IRAs. But if any of it is in a 401k, you must take from the 401k its pro rata portion. Taking the 401k's portion from the IRA doesn't count. And the IRS will hit you with the 50% penalty for the amount you were supposed to have taken from the 401k but failed, even though you ultimately did take the proper amount, the IRS will say, well, you didn't take it from the proper place. And for that reason, because you blew the paperwork, they're going to hit you with a 50% penalty. This is on top of the taxes, by the way, which means the IRS ends up collecting almost 90% of the value of your account, merely because you didn't take the money from the correct pocket of your pants. How annoying is all of this?
5: <laughs> Highly.
0: So you'll be happy to know that I had a conversation over the past couple of weeks with staff members of uh, working on Capitol Hill and talking with them about the need to change these rules. They do not raise revenue for the government. They do not serve any useful purpose. All they do is penalize people. Who are finding themselves, often due to their cognitive decline in their 70s, of handling the paperwork wrong due to no fault of their own, and they end up owing double or triple the taxes that otherwise they would have to pay. So I'm really glad you asked uh, before you made that mistake yourself.
5: Thank you very much.
0: You're very welcome. I
5: appreciate the information. It's
0: my pleasure, Michael. All of this, by the way, in excruciating detail, is in my book, The Truth About Money. So if you have questions about IRA rules, distribution rules, and how do you pay the taxes, and by when do you have to do it, and how does it work, and so on, you can get this information in two of my books, actually, in The Truth About Money which was named Book of the Year twice, uh, both for its original and its fourth editions. And in my current number one bestseller, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs, goes into great detail on how this works to help you avoid the pitfalls and traps that Congress has foisted on us for no legitimate reason. So thank you so much for calling, Michael. I really appreciate it. When we come back, your telephone calls, dial us up right here, right now at 888 Plan Rick. That's 888 752 6742. Or call us anytime during the week. My colleagues and I at Edelman Financial will respond to your phone calls or your emails at rickedelman.com. We'll get you the answers to your personal finance questions so that you too can achieve the financial security that you want for yourself and your family. 888 Plan Rick, ricedelman.com.
1: information on what you need to do now, go to rickedelman.com. That's rickedelman.com.
0: back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Thanks for hanging around. And uh, you're struggling to get to retirement and in a financially secure way, aren't you? I know you are. And you want to use every available opportunity, every available strategy, every available tool that will enable you to achieve that goal of financial security and retirement. So here's a simple question. Can a mortgage help you do that? My attitude is yes, absolutely. And I want to share with
4: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now, get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL
1: at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th, one-time use only,
0: not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. We've been staging a seminar on explaining my 11 great reasons to carry a big, long mortgage. We've now broadened that to put it into the financial planning context. How can a mortgage help you enjoy financial security and retirement? Tuesday and Wednesday, May 12th and May 13th, we're bringing the seminar to Columbus, Delmar, Woodcliffe Lake in New Jersey, Manhattan Beach, Salt Lake City, Rocky Hill in Connecticut, Boca Raton, Ashburn, Virginia, and Concord in Northern California. We are going to show you why you ready for this. Everything you know about mortgages is wrong and it's causing you to mishandle your mortgage, which is potentially interfering with your ability to increase your wealth and develop that secure retirement that you want. I'm going to show you In this seminar, we will teach you why a 30-year mortgage is better than a 15-year loan, why you really don't want to enter retirement without a mortgage, and, of course, my 11 great reasons to carry a big, long mortgage. You'll also get a free copy of my best-selling book, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. It's $15 a person. Register online at rickedelman.com. The seminar is 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. both days, Tuesday, May 12th, Wednesday, May 13th. Register online at ricedelman.com or call us at 888-PLAN-RICK and we'll... um, Sign you up so you can get the information you need. It'll be really, really impactful for you. All right, I've been promising to share this with you, so I'm going to do it right now. Then we're going to talk with Bill. He's got a great question you're going to want to hear about. The question is this for you first. Are you at risk of suffering an Internet defamation lawsuit? Now, we know that defamation is something you aren't supposed to do. You're not supposed to insult people. You're not supposed to accuse people of nasty things. You're not supposed to say impolite things not only to other people. Mom told you if you don't have anything nice to say, you don't say it at all. But most importantly, you shouldn't be saying it online where the world can read it. Are you at risk of saying something online that could cause someone to sue you for defamation? Now, I know you're saying, come on, Rick, give me a break. I'm a responsible, mature adult. I am certainly not going to say anything online that could cause somebody to sue me. Well, that's great. Okay, I believe you. So I just have a simple question for you. You got any teenagers in the house? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not so sure how funny this is, but think about this. We all know that teenagers don't always think long-term or consider implications of their actions. Here was a recent lawsuit where a teenager made a reference On Facebook to friends of his in his little social circle that his father had just signed a legal agreement with his employer. Well, what the son didn't realize is that the father's legal agreement contained a confidentiality clause. And when the son referenced it on Facebook, it cost the father $80,000 because he had to return the money to the company in violation of the confidentiality agreement. So when you say something harmless to your children at the dinner table, might they say something online? Here's a much worse case. A Texas couple received nearly $14 million in a jury judgment for defamation. What happened? Somebody had posted what they thought were anonymous comments. Well, there ain't nothing anonymous about the web. And those anonymous comments ultimately led back to identifying who they were. They said some really nasty things about a Texas couple. They sued for defamation and received $14 million in judgment. So you need to recognize that teenagers lack maturity and good judgment. They don't always fully understand the consequences of their actions. So what do you need to do? It's real simple. You need to talk with all the members of your family about what could happen if they even inadvertently commit an act of defamation, make sure they understand the simple guideline. Don't post anything. Don't repost anything, either written or visual, that in any way could hurt your peers, members of the family, or the family's way of making a living. They should not post or repost insults or embarrassing images. They should never curse or make public what should, frankly, be kept private within the family. You need to talk to your kids. You need to talk to your grandkids about this before somebody ends up writing a big fat check. Let's head to La Plata, Maryland. Bill patiently waiting on the phone. Hey, Bill, welcome to the program. How are you?
5: Thank you very much. Uh, Good to talk to you. Uh, A little too much tree pollen down here right now.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll take that over the snow any day. True, true. So what can I do for you, Bill?
5: Well, my question is I'm a retired federal employee, And I'm getting very close to the point I'm going to have to start uh, doing something with the thrift savings program. Mm -hmm. And I'd just like to get your thoughts on the alternatives between the TSP purchasing an annuity and just taking the regular required minimum distribution.
0: Right. There's a third choice. Have you even considered it? Obviously Uh, not. The third third choice is to take the entire account balance and roll it over to an IRA where you can then generate that monthly income for yourself uh, through the RMD, the required minimum distributions, uh, as you wish. So let's look at all three options. The least favorite of ours is taking the annuity, is taking your entire life savings in the thrift savings plan in the federal government. What's your account balance, Bill?
5: Uh, about 120,000.
0: So, taking that entire 120,000 that you've worked so hard to accumulate and converting it to a monthly income stream, we don't like that at all, and there are several reasons for it. Uh, number one, it's an irrevocable decision, which means all you're ever going to get is a monthly check for as long as you live. The day you die, the value of that check is gone. Do you have a Do you have a wife? No. Children? No then you might not care about what I just said. Because as long as you're getting a monthly check for as long as you live, even if you start that check today, you get hit by a bus tomorrow, and you die having only received one check, and the 120 grand is gone, you might not care because there's no wife or children to worry about with inheritance purposes. Most people we encounter do have family members or charities or whatever where they are concerned about that, and they don't want to run the risk of having that money become worthless upon their death. When there's a spouse involved, you can do something called a joint and several. You can do a spousal survival benefit, which says if I die, my spouse continues to get the money until my spouse dies. The downside of that is that you end up getting a less of a monthly check. So you can support the spouse, but you do so at the expense of a lower monthly income. So we're not a big fan of that. In most of these programs, the uh, income is not from inflation adjusted either, which means the amount of money you get this month is great, but 10 years from now, it's the same amount of money. Inflation hasn't increased it. 20 years from now, it's the same amount of money. Inflation has eroded the value of that account, which is a real big problem. If you need a lump sum at any given moment, not available to you because you're stuck with getting a monthly check. So we're not a big fan. And oh, by the way, the calculation they use is also not all that great, and the amount of monthly check we find is not all that exciting. That's why we much prefer instead you maintain flexibility. How do you do that? It's simple. Pay yourself a monthly check. Give yourself a monthly income on a voluntary, flexible changeable basis that you can adjust at any time that you want. You can increase the check, decrease the check, start it, stop it, do whatever you want at any time. And I'm willing to bet that if you do it that way, you can generate an income stream for yourself equal to what you would have gotten from that annuity. So it gives you all the benefits of the annuity without the downside of the annuity. I describe this in much more detail in my book, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. Part three of the book is focused ex- exclusively for you, because it's targeting people who are at retirement, and they are trying to figure out, what do I do with the money I've accumulated? How do I generate income out of it so that my income goes up with inflation? I remain flexibility. So if I need a lump sum, it's available. I, I don't have to worry that the money is gone when I die. I don't want to run the risk of running out of money during my lifetime. How do we do all that? The book describes it in great detail. We call it a systematic withdrawal plan. We do it routinely for our clients who are retired, and it is a very effective way to generate the income you need, inflation adjusted, while providing flexibility. So you can do that within the thrift savings plan, as you described. That was your second option. The third option, which I often like, is to roll the money over to an IRA and do it from there. Why would we want to consider that? After all, the advantage, one big advantage of the thrift account is that the expenses are extraordinarily low. The annual cost of your thrift plan is the lowest in the entire country. There is no way to invest money more cheaply than, the, than in the thrift plan. So why would we tell someone to move the money out of the thrift plan and roll it to an IRA? It's real simple. The thrift plan only has five funds you cannot develop as effective a level of diversification inside the thrift plan as is available to you outside the thrift plan in a highly diversified money management program that is available to you in an IRA. So we believe that we can obtain greater diversification, which has the potential for generating reduced risk and better returns, even though the cost could end up being higher. You also have the ability to look more broadly beyond just the money in the thrift plan to the broader array of financial advisory services that an investment advisor would be able to provide for you. All that taken into consideration, it can, in fact, make sense to roll the money over out of the thrift plan into an IRA. But you need to evaluate it very carefully to determine for sure if that is something that you really want to do, considering the fact that at the end of the day, the cost will be greater. So if the only thing you care about are the costs, leave the money in the thrift plan. If you are willing to pay a little more in favor of the additional advantages and opportunities that you can obtain in an IRA, then you'd want to consider that option. But both of those choices, I believe, are superior to the notion of annuitizing the money in your thrift plan. Okay. Hope that's helpful.
5: Very interesting.
0: I'm glad I was able to help, Bill. You can get all this information in my book, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. We've got offices not far from you, of course, and we're happy to help you evaluate this for your own specific situation. What we didn't talk about is all the rest of the stuff going on in your life, other money that you have available, the amount of money you're going to get from your federal pension, what is your income need since you don't have spouse or children, what, uh Oh, uh, your monthly expenses and your life expectancy. And we also didn't talk about penalty-free withdrawals between ages 55 and 59 and a half, loans permitted within the account, federal protection from creditors uh, under uh, the code, and, uh, of course, the RMD calculations and deductions. There's just so much that has to be talked about to determine whether or not a rollover makes sense. So a full-blown financial plan would be of great value to you as you're facing one of the most important decisions in your life.
5: Okay, I will certainly look for that book. I did not realize that you had a new one out.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, go take a look at that. We're happy to help. The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. Thanks so much for calling, Bill. I appreciate it. I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us. Visit us online at rickedelman.com. That is ricedelman.com. Or call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. And we'll help you just like we're helping Bill. And when we come back, one of our listeners isn't happy with something that I said. Hi,
5: Rick. I just wanted to point something out that you said.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, or I'll let him tell you what I said. Stay with us.
1: More with the founder of one of the nation's largest independent investment advisory firms coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
0: Thanks for hanging around on the program. Rick Edelman here, The Truth About Money. You know, this is scary. Um, I, you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening, or at least I hope you enjoy it. And, uh, but doing it is a little scary. They tell me I've got about a million people who listen to the show every week. And I live in fear, quite frankly, that I'm going to say something wrong. Um, because that would just be awful if, if I did. And I got a voicemail this past week from one of my listeners who, in fact, didn't like what I said um, that I was wrong and so I thought I would share with you his observation.
5: Hi Rick, I just wanted to point something out, but you said uh, let my colleagues and I help you. Let my colleagues and me help you. Direct object of the verb, not the subject. Let my colleagues and I help you is just
1: incorrect.
0: Really? (laughs) Is because I said I not me? Well, I have to admit he has a point, and, as a former journalist and and number one best selling author, I know better. so thank you for the warning my mistake mother 's Day is coming up. you knew that right mother 's day's coming up don 't forget just i 'm just saying uh, mother's day 's coming up and so here, in honor of mother 's Day coming up, I thought I would share with you the results of a survey from coupon codes. Uh, pro.com that found, uh, and moms are going to like this, as well as women everywhere, moms and women generally save more money than men each year. Women save on average $232 per month compared to men who save on average only $75 per month. Why is it that women are saving? 58% of them say they like to. They like to save for the future. 69% of men, on the other hand, say they'd rather spend their money and have fun. So the top five reasons women say they save, number one, they're saving for the future. Number two, they don't want to depend on others. Number three, they're saving for their children. Number four, they're putting money aside for a special occasion. And number five, they want to travel the world. So those are all really good reasons for saving, Pretty good motivation. So if you can't find yourself motivated to save for the future, well, think about being dependent on others. Wouldn't it be great to be financially independent? Think about your children. Think about special occasions that are coming up. Do you have children headed toward graduation? Bar mitzvahs? College? A parent's 50th anniversary? Putting money aside for a special occasion is a pretty good reason for saving. And how about traveling? If you want to do some really serious traveling, that's going to take some cash. Saving for it's all really good. So women get this down pretty well. On the other hand, why are men not saving? Here are the top five reasons that men say they are not saving. Number one, 70% of them, they'd rather have fun. Number two, they have too many expenses and therefore can't put money aside. Number three, The worry about the future when it comes around. Number four, I just lose track of my spending, and I end up spending too much, and I have nothing left to save. And number five, the fifth reason why men say they don't save, there's plenty of time to start saving later. Now, I don't know about you, but it strikes me that all of these are head in the sands kind of answers. You'd rather have fun? Well, of course we would. What does that have to do with it? And why does the translation of wanting to have fun have to have anything to do with not saving money? There are a lot of things you can do having fun that don't cost money. Having too many expenses? I know, you do. So what? Get over it. We all have too many expenses. That's life. That's got nothing to do with your inability to save. In fact, saving is one of the expenses. You're not skipping the mortgage bill or the car payment or the food budget. Well, you can't skip the savings budget either. Worrying about the future when it's going to come around? Well, that's a head in the sand kind of an attitude. The future's going to be here before you know it. Just look at your current age. Aren't you shocked at how old you are right now? Never occurred to you you'd be this age. 20 years ago, you never thought you'd be this old. I got news for you. You are. The future will be here before you know it. Losing track of your spending? So what? First of all, there are a lot of online tools that can help you solve that problem. Second of all... That has nothing to do with it. Pay yourself first. Write a check for 50 bucks and put it into an account before you spend all your money. Because that way, you'll still be broke at the end of the month, but you'll be broke with money, instead of being broke without money. And finally, there's plenty of time to start saving. You're absolutely right, there is, and you're missing the point. There's plenty of time to start saving, but the power of wealth accumulation is based on time. The more time the money has to invest and grow, the more it's going to be worth. Saving money for 40 years produces far more wealth than saving money for 30 years or for 20 years or for 10 years. So you're right. You have plenty of time, and it's vital that you take full advantage of it right now. Here's the best part. 42% of women who regularly save say they were taught to do so as a child. There's a lesson for you with your kids. And finally, and this is really the best part, 39% of men say that having a woman in their life helps them to save more. I'm Rick Edelman. Mom's Day is coming up. Don't forget. It's been a pleasure being with you here this weekend. Give us a call if we can be of value and help to you with your investments, your financial planning. We'll do it for you like we've done it for thousands of people just like you. 888-PLAN-RICK. Give us a call at 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. And I'll see you next week.